Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me on the other side of town is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, Richie. I'm doing pretty well. And I think this is the first episode that we're doing for 2016. So I want to wish all of our listeners a very happy new year and a very prosperous 2016. Yeah. You haven't heard from us for a while. For a couple of weeks, we decided to take the holidays off. And now we're back and better than ever and uh, really got a nice lineup for 2016 for you with some more great AFTK content. And one thing you could look forward to now is that we are also on Facebook. So you can go to facebook.com slash AFTK podcast and check out all the posts that we have up, pictures that we're going to put up and, you know, any kind of special secret content we might share with you. Yeah, that's going to be pretty exciting. And you know what else I did over the uh, the break, Cecil? What's that? What'd you do? We uh, we, we cut the satellite cable, man. We just, we, we cut the satellite cord after being customers of... Uh, a certain satellite <laughs> provider since 2002, we decided to end our relationship. It was hard. It was tough. We found out that we just weren't using anymore. We just, we weren't watching the live TV. We weren't watching the stuff we were recording. Everything we watch is either Netflix, Amazon Prime, or Hulu, and haven't missed it one bit. It's funny you said that because we did the exact same thing. We were been with, cool. You know, we've been with Comcast for forever. And, you know, we just never actually watch cable. It's been just like you, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, YouTube, whatever type of streaming content. I watch a lot of Vimeo too, actually. Mm. And it's just, we just don't use it. So why, you know, keep paying for stuff that we, we don't use? That's right. So I think one of the things that we might do is actually get the, um, the HD antenna and see if we can catch some of those over the air channels. But outside of that, yep. I don't think we're going to go back to cable. Yeah, the only thing I'm missing is is sports, but um, I haven't been watching much of that this year either. So <laughs> uh, something else has come in the way uh, of me watching sports. I don't I can imagine what that possibly could be. <laughs> so in terms of podcast. sports, I've actually gotten NBA League Pass, which has actually been pretty pretty interesting so far. Oh, nice. So I could go back and watch past games. I can get the live scores. I could watch some games that are playing live. So there's, you know, the whole blackout thing that still happens, which is a little annoying, but, you know, I could still watch um, a lot of the, a lot of the live games. So that's pretty, pretty good. Speaking of live, see, that's what we call a transition in the business. The South Florida Code Camp will be held on February 20th, 2016 at Nova Southeastern University. You and I will both be there live. You and I will both be there speaking live and we'll be recording live for the way for the keyboard. So it's a great event. You've heard us talk about it a lot. If you're in town, if you're in Miami during that time or Fort Lauderdale, come by, check us out. It's a really great event. So who are we talking to today, Cecil? So today we're speaking to Amy Knight. Amy's a former figure skater and a software engineer at SparkPost. Outside of work, she's a weekly panelist on the JavaScript Jabber and Angular Air podcast and co-organizer of Charm City JS. In her spare time, she's usually playing with a new library or technology, running along the Baltimore Harbor, or trying out the latest flavor of kombucha. Find her and her contagious enthusiasm on Twitter at A-I-M-E-E underscore night. 
This episode is recorded on November 3rd, 2015. And now, our conversation with Amy Knight. And now, away from the keyboards, feature conversation. So who is Amy Knight exactly? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your story? Right now, I am a full-stack developer doing Node and Angular at a company called SparkPost. And it's outside of Baltimore, Maryland. I work on the APIs and the front end for the C code that actually sends emails for a lot of really big senders like uh, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. So that's what I do day to day. I've been at my job for about a year. Before that, I did a six-month programming boot camp in Nashville called the Nashville Software School. Before that, I kind of played around a little bit with Ruby on Rails and really spent probably like a year, a year and a half fooling around with um, just teaching myself various aspects of programming, backing up further from that. For most of my life, a competitive figure skater. So that's kind of like an interesting tidbit about me. And I think combination of things that led me into programming, you know, was skating you peak at such a young age that... By the age of like 18 or so, I was kind of looking for the next thing in life. So I tried a variety of things and ended up in programming and realizing that I really, really enjoyed it. So that's kind of my next passion in life. So I want to talk about your, your skating history a little bit. So how yeah. did you initially get into doing, um, doing that? Yeah, um, so I am originally from the Chicago area, and skating, hockey, all of those sports are very, very popular up there. So uh, it was kind of one of those things that, uh, like, a lot of my classmates at school were taking lessons, and so my parents signed me up, and I just kept going with it. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, as my friends got older and tried other things, I just stuck with skating. And slowly but surely, it really just became a huge part of my life. I skated, you know, before school, after school. My parents would, like, pick me up and I would miss, like, study hall and <laughs> gym class and uh, just really, like, sacrificed a lot in my life so that I could skate traveled around competing. I actually left home when I was 15 to live with my coach. That's how I ended up in the South. I followed her and then my parents came down eventually after that. I know absolutely nothing at all about skating. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I do. Um, and why is that, Cecil? <laughs> oh my God, here we go. So, <laughs> and that's because it does not snow in the Caribbean, Richie. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Because every show I need to tell it, everybody remember that I am from the Caribbean. <laughs> Yes. yes, you are. Yes. So there we go. So is this something that you did up until into your collegiate years? Uh, like how yeah. did you, like so, are you like, how does that how does competitive skating work, <laughs> I guess? You know, most people I feel like are probably more familiar with competitive gymnastics, but skating is a lot like that. You know, you kind of pretty much peak at a really, really young age. I would say like 15 to 17. But I did keep skating as I got older, like into um, like my first years in college. But I kind of made the transition into coaching. And so that was really, I think, for my parents and a lot of like my friends and family really just thought that that was the route I was going to end up going. But uh, like my junior year in college is when I kind of started to realize maybe I wanted to do something else. 
So do you still get it all today or not really? Not as much as I would like to. It's been at least a year since I've been on the ice because I have been spending so much of my free time kind of entering into the developer world that I haven't had time to skate as much. I'm very much still like into being fit and active. I, you know, work out and run every day, but actually being on the ice, not as much. That's not to say that I don't want to get back to it though. (laughs) So what was that transition like for something that was such a big part of your life for so long and then coming to the realization that that's something that you can't do anymore? (laughs) Yeah, it's really, really hard. Um, And I think, you know, this is like a topic that's kind of fascinated me. So I have read other athlete stories about, you know, similar things. But like I said, for me, I think like the progression was I was going to go ahead and coach. And I did really, really enjoy coaching. But then again, I ended up I married my husband and we knew that we would move around a lot because of his job. And because of that, you know, I knew that there weren't going to be ice rinks everywhere. So, and especially, you know, we ended up in Savannah, Georgia, like I was saying before the show, initially when we got married. And, you know, there wasn't a rink there. You know, I just kind of, and, and I did get married like much older, not like straight out of college or anything like that. You know, so I just kind of like realized that I wanted to explore other things in life. I still love skating, but. It's really all I did for so many years. So I explored a bunch of different things. I actually, you know, in college, I did marketing, you know, after college, just because that seemed moderately interesting to me at the time. My my parents really wanted me to like go into more of like the medical field. So I explored nursing and things like that, but wasn't really crazy about that. But I did for a while explore physical therapy. I was working at a physical therapy company doing marketing and thought that I'd be really interested in that. So I did actually go back to school for two years and started studying that. And I think that's kind of what turned me on to just science. I ended up, once I got to the actual clinicals, realized that eh, it wasn't exactly something I was horribly thrilled about. I love the science aspect, but clinical parts I didn't enjoy as much. So a combination of working in these marketing roles and being exposed to developers there and starting to fiddle around with um, like the CMS and the science really is what kind of started me in the direction of exploring programming. I also took a personality test and... I just thought it was absolutely absurd because programming was one of the things that it called out. And this is just not something that I had ever, ever explored, really. My parents, I was very much like, you know, my mom kind of dreamed of like the little girl that would grow up and have kids and and that kind of thing. <laughs> so, you know, exploring computers just was not something on our radar. So when I took this personality test and saw that, I was really, really, really taken aback. But I, the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. I ended up, we had the CMS at work and they asked me to make a couple of small tweaks. I really got tired of waiting for the developers to make these like little tiny changes. So I decided like, I'm just going to figure this out myself and just really, really enjoyed it. So how did you go from, from experimenting a little bit and, you know, making changes in the CMS to the Nashville software school? Uh, yeah. So that's interesting too. Um, Like I had said, I started, like I kind of taught myself for about a year, started with basic coding of like HTML and CSS and 
a tiny bit of jQuery and JavaScript and focused on PHP more than anything because of doing Expression Engine and a little bit of WordPress. But I was in Savannah at the time and like one of the developers there was like, eh, you don't, you know, really PHP? Eh, you should check out this Ruby on Rails thing. <laughs> so I started exploring that. I drove like four hours because they didn't have anything in Savannah at the time to go to Rails Bridge in Orlando and then Rails Girls in Atlanta. And, you know, just this is like the process of me like discovering that I just really, really like this. So my husband and I sat down and we decided I would go back to school and I found a program where you could do a second bachelor's degree. Uh, it was just an in information technology, but it was appealing initially because, you know, all my prior prerequisites would count. So I would just be able to kind of like pick and choose which programming classes I wanted to take. But I did that for two semesters and... I was so involved on my own in like learning Ruby on Rails and they weren't even doing any of that. Um, I joke like the very first book that we had, and this was only like two years ago, was DHTML. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so, you know, kind of like went back to the drawing board again. And of course, you know, so many developers are self-taught. I'm getting like a lot of this feedback saying, you know, you don't necessarily need to go that route. And then this is really when bootcamp started popping up. My husband, he was actually one of like the big proponents for me looking into these boot camps. So I did a bunch of research on them and I actually was going to go to a different boot camp than where I ended up. But like if there are any junior developers listening, I do think it's super important to like really, really vet the one you're going to go to because I thought I did this, but I didn't do it enough because I got there and just decided that it wasn't going to be intense enough. Like this is just something I really, really enjoyed. And, you know, boot camps cost a lot of money and a substantial sacrifice because I was going to have to like, you know, rent out an apartment for a couple months and do all of that, you know, move across the country. So I came back to the drawing board, like drove three days across the country, ended up coming back home, and I had my mind made up that I was either going to go to G School or the Nashville Software School because they were six months, as opposed to like a lot of these other boot camps are 10 and 12 weeks. Being like in the South at that time, it was just kind of natural that I wanted to go to the one in Nashville. So that is how I ended up there. And so what was your experience like there? Because, you know, like you said, I've always heard about you know, let's learn how to program in a month or six weeks or 12 <laughs> weeks. I've never, honestly, I've never heard about a six-month boot camp. So, like, I don't know if you could share, what are some of the things that you guys, obviously you wrote code, but, like, what are some yeah. of the practices and things that you did there that were really valuable to you? The one that I went to, it was three months of JavaScript, including Node, and then three months of Ruby and Ruby on Rails. You know, I don't know that they do this anymore, but they did split up our class into, like, three different groups based on, you know, who was coming in with, you know, some experience already. So it depended on what group you went in, because I had come in with experience kind of teaching myself, I was fortunate enough to get into the more advanced group. So for us, actually, this was pretty cool. Day one, we started off in Vim, which I think was awesome, because, you know, we did need to, you know, make sure everyone was on the same page. So we'd have to go over like some kind of more basic stuff. But by forcing us to use Vim the first day, it made it extra challenging. You know, if you're just, <laughs> if you're just reviewing some like basics, you know, why not throw in Vim there? And I just felt like completely lost on day one, <laughs> even though I was, how do I get out of this thing? <laughs> even though I was expecting just to like be typing up some CSS and HTML day one. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was, so that was awesome. Nice. 
But the, the actual process was really just a mix. Like, our teacher was super intense. And at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I gotten myself into? But I'm glad that he was that way. He had actually taught at Flatiron School before he came to Nashville Software School. And now I think he's teaching actually somewhere in San Francisco. Not exactly sure where. You know, we spent a lot of time doing just these drills. He would give us tests. The program that I went to, if you you didn't reach a certain level within the first three months, you didn't get to complete the second half. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, the second half was Ruby on Rails. So with that, we had a really good instructor for that portion, too. She had us do a lot just with plain Ruby, like a kind of covered some computer science topics. You know, one of the, pro- like we had to do a linked list project. We had to do something where we implemented the Unix version of the Cal program, which really was just like a great logic exercise. And then after that, we built applications. So we had like a capstone in Node and then a capstone in Ruby on Rails. And for me, uh, you know, you're, you're able to pick what those capstones are so, uh, like, more advice to any other juniors again. I think if you're, like, going the boot camp route, really try to set your project apart from what a lot of people are doing because it's what you'll show to employers. So rather than building, like, yet another Ruby on Rails app, I decided to build a Rails engine, you know, just because I wanted to, like, dig deeper and see. I felt like with Ruby and Ruby on Rails, like, we're building stringing a lot of this code together, but I really wanted to like dig in and see like what exactly are these gems doing. No, that's pretty interesting. What was it like now for you after after going through this training and having these experiences? What was it like going into your first job interview after <laughs> that? So the job interview obviously is like extremely intimidating because well for me, not having like a real solid technical background, I really wasn't sure what to expect. You know, they do prepare you at the boot camp, and I did, like, make sure I reached out out to mentors and asked, you know, can you do, like, some mock technical interviews with me and just really grill me? And it was great. I think, like, the number one thing, I'm sure it goes for everyone, like, my biggest takeaway in prepping for that is, like, to really be clear on what you do and don't know, because as a junior, there really is so much that you don't know, and you need, I think... As you progress, one thing that's going to show that you're progressing is that you come to this realization of everything you don't know. Your biggest selling point is, you know, how quickly you can you can solve problems, how quickly you can help yourself and be able to read documentation and come up with a solution and just your excitement for it because whether you have, I think, a computer science degree and you've been doing this for, you know, four years already, or you went to a boot camp, you're still very new and you need to probably put in some work over time on your own to level up. See, one of the things that, that really drew me to you a little bit was your talk that you gave at, at Angular Connect um, yes. a little while ago. Yeah. And, and in your talk, you talk about so you know, the thought of your talk was being comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> totally. <laughs> which, I, which I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, So if we want to talk like about the biggest takeaway from my first year, that is it. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I watched, I'll be honest with you, I watched the video maybe like three or four times <laughs> because I think there's so much good advice in <laughs> that 20 minute presentation that you gave. Yeah. I, I really spent like a lot of time working on it. The I initially had the talk planned. I'm going to be speaking at November 
And I was preparing the talk for that, but then ended up doing it at Angular Connect as well. You know, it really was like a great chance for me to kind of pull my friends and see what they were doing. And so a lot of this advice is not just, you know, my experiences, but it's experiences from people around me and, you know, different issues that I've seen them have to go through you know, just a lot of things that you really feel like you will have prepared for going into your job, but maybe not so much. So like some of the really, really big things, I am just like extremely grateful that I ended up in an environment where, you know, we do testing and we have a a really good code review process. And, you know, I work on a fairly large team. There's like 13 of us or so on, on my specific team. So, you know, we have like a team style guide and we do lunch and learns. And, you know, I think it's important to obviously have a mentor, but all these other things as a junior, I didn't, you know, necessarily think about making sure that my employer had that. That was just like a, a really, really, really important thing. I I did, I do end up now, like I work with a mentor, but he's outside of work and he's just been immensely valuable. One of the things that, that I've always wanted, I always wished I had was a mentor. Yes. You know, um, I've been developing now for maybe a little bit, little bit over seven years now, professionally. Okay. And through the different jobs that I've had and the different roles, like I've never had that person that I could say I'm going to look up to, to kind of <laughs> pull for advice. You know, like yeah. I, mean, I had teammates and, you know, with bubble ideas together, which is yeah. cool. But, you know, if all of us are thinking in a way that's probably not the right way, right? Like there's, there's no, there's no person to kind of trump that and kind of say, well, maybe you should consider this or that, or, you know, maybe we've tried this in the past and it turned out this way. So here are some options for you to consider, right? Like I've never really had that. Yeah. It has been so valuable. You know, I had, you know, kind of some like mentors before going into the boot camp, and at the boot camp, they pair you with a mentor and I still stay in touch with those people. I still stay in touch with like the instructor at the boot camp who's, you know, kind of served as like a mentor role now, but this other person, so there's this other podcast called the code newbie podcast. And I'm not sure if he was listening to that or how this came about, but you know, I, I like to be active on Twitter. I think it's a good way to, you know, learn new things and, you know, kind of stay up to date. Uh, I noticed that he was looking for someone to mentor. So, of course, I'm like, me, me, me. (laughs) Um, And, like, he's just, like, given an hour of his time a week. And, like, I am just so incredibly grateful. Uh, He is a developer at Pivotal, and he also used to teach at G School. So I'm like... You know, this is just like the best ever. I have someone who is not only like an incredible developer, but they also, you know, have a passion for teaching and it's done multiple things. Like as a junior, you know, it's given me the confidence to speak up on things because, you know, sometimes as a junior, it's it's only natural that you're on this team of senior developers. You know, people aren't going to be the most excited to listen to your feedback sometimes. Right. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like giving me the confidence when I have these thoughts and I'll run and buy him and he'll say, you know, you know, like go with that instinct. You're right on that. So it gives me the confidence at work, like in our retros or code reviews to make some comments, especially, you know, for me, I'm not like the most aggressive person in the world. Like I'm kind of, I am like a girl and I'm a little more timid. So that's been really, really helpful. And then too, you know, as someone who's, you know, still have like so much to learn, 
it's been immensely valuable because I have someone to kind of course correct me when I, you know, might spend a little bit, a little bit too much time on a topic. I'm, you know, everyone says that you need to get comfortable with abstraction. And that's, you know, like one of my downsides is I really, really, really like to dig deep on things. And in some ways, that's really helped me. I think that's like, kind of something that has uh, driven me into the field. But at other times, you know, there's a point where you need to stop and say, like, okay, I've gone deep enough on this, because you want to be productive with what you're learning. And he's like, given me the ability to do that more. So I'm just like, so grateful if you're able to like, find someone like this. Do you have the opportunity to mentor any junior or any other developers? I do. Um, I have a couple friends who are like, uh, you know, they started the boot camp a little bit behind me. Um, so we'll work on stuff on like Saturday mornings. I did start in Baltimore, this like junior developer study group. I don't get to go to that every Saturday anymore. I think it's still going on. But I've been doing like Saturday morning hangouts with some of my friends. And, you know, it's a great way to like make sure you really do understand things. And then I also started at work I was really like one of the first juniors they hired, especially with a non-traditional degree. There was when I got to my company for my team in particular, there was only one other junior, but you know, he had the traditional four-year degree. He had interned there for a year already. Uh, when I came on board, I think he'd already been there two years, you know, programmed in high school. So him and I like came from a very different background. Since I've been there, they have hired some other more junior people and like I noticed we would go into like our retro or our grooming and we would like step out and like like a lot of people would have questions but no one would say anything (laughs) you know especially in grooming like we would go around the room and say you know is everybody clear on this before we size it and people just kind of like keep their mouth shut and then we'd walk out and like everyone would ask questions. I'm like, but wait, why didn't we just talk about this? We had <laughs> yep. questions. So like mentoring at work started. So now it's out in the open because my bosses watched the Angular Connect talk. But I started at work like a Slack channel so that um, like the juniors, we could ask each other questions or share share things that we were learning. Because I think like, you know, it's intimidating when you have this like main Slack channel where all the seniors are talking, it's intimidating to ask questions in there. So, you know, I've had like that ability to mentor a little bit at work too. I think what's really good with that is, you know, the fact, because it kind of sounds like your company is kind of supporting you guys doing some of these things. Yeah, yeah, they really are. I think, like, it was a big learning process, I think, for my team and for me over the first year. But we've, like, really come out ahead. And, you know, like, another thing I think that's come out of me preparing for, like, this talk that I've been doing is I really do realize that, you know, there you have to like weigh the pros and cons of hiring a junior, but in a lot of regards, like bringing a junior on your team really can be beneficial because like it improves the quality of your code base because you have to be like more stringent about your comments and testing and linting and all that stuff. But like just the team too, it forces everyone to share their knowledge. And, you know, I think a lot of times like, like a lot of times a junior is really like as far as programming goes like they'll come at you with some questions that are really 
you know, maybe things you haven't stopped to think about because you forget that you have certain context. So it's just, it's really beneficial, I feel like, to even seniors. Right. No, I think it's very important that, again, like the companies really supports that, right? Because what you get that, you get that team building a little bit, you get that comfort with each other, you know, and again, you get that knowledge share throughout the company that everybody's kind of bouncing ideas off each other and we're brainstorming and we're kind of thinking about, you know, what can we do to make all of us better? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like we've implemented at work, these lunch and learns that we do. And I think it's just valuable for everyone across the board. So I don't know. One thing that I've kind of noticed being someone new to this field is sometimes like as developers, like our brains are just out there for everyone to see. And we get kind of like protective of what we say. And, you know, we're cautious to ask questions. But I don't know. For me, I'm all about asking questions because... Like, I always say, like, my love for this field is far more important than my pride. (laughs) So I don't (laughs) care what people think of my questions. I'm going to ask them because I want to learn. (laughs) No, that's exactly what you should do. Just keep just keep asking away until you get the answer that you need. Yeah, yeah. And it just it helps everybody because sometimes I'll ask questions and I've like seen people look at each other like, hmm, you know, we haven't thought of that before. (laughs) (laughs) So. So one of the things, too, that I also find interesting about you is that, you know, you keep mentioning that you're, you're new to this field, but like you exhibit so many attributes of somebody that's been in here for a little while. <laughs> so, for instance, like I know a lot of developers that are be completely terrified to go and speak in a major conference. <laughs> I know tons of developers that don't have blogs or on show on podcasts and things like that. Right. So there must be some level of confidence inside of you to to want to be able to go out and do these things like being again so early in the game right so 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 how did you how did you really start speaking or again speaking at like for instance like angular connect you did the other day like how do you start speaking at events like that i have a couple of thoughts on it i think as far as like being confident out there it does kind of go back to what i was saying a minute ago like I don't know. I'm just like excited to be here. And I feel like I have nothing to lose in this industry. Like, you know, nobody really expects someone who has like spent all of their life figure skating and doesn't have a computer science degree. Like, you know, the expectations aren't, <laughs> you know, you know, super, super high. So I like I've got nothing to lose. So I might as well just like have fun and enjoy myself. And that's kind of like the idea or the approach I take to all of this. But Like being comfortable too, being up there, spending so much time on the ice, I think was as I was kind of like getting ready for the talk in London and everything and like talking to other speakers and like seeing how nervous some people get like this is it really is nothing compared to skating. Like I would get so nervous a lot of times before I'd skate. So I kept like joking that I was nervous that I wasn't nervous. (laughs) <laughs> and like, am I just like I, I kept thinking like this is really weird why am I not nervous like am I just gonna get up there and just freeze but I didn't so that was good but like getting into speaking I have been really fortunate too to work with someone else who I met at, while I was in Nashville and he's a developer advocate for strong loop his name is Jordan Casper but he really has helped me prepare for the talk a bunch again just like people are so nice giving of his time to do that And the talk too, like I guess the, you know, any confidence that comes across in the talk is really just like, I feel like I'm pretty passionate about this stuff. And like, I have a lot of really good friends who like have gone through, you know, like 
probably not blood, but sweat and tears <laughs> over the past year, me included, like just kind of navigating this road because it's something for people that, you know, are going this boot camp route and probably pe- even for some people who don't. A lot of this is like uncharted territory right now. And like it's important for me to kind of like share my experiences because, you know, I'd love to help other people not make, you know, some of the same mistakes or, you know, just be comfortable with it. So I don't know. And too, I just, I always try to keep like a positive outlook on things. And my husband is big on that too. So, so what was your preparation like? Being a speaker myself, I know that hey, an hour-long presentation is a lot harder to put together than a five-minute presentation. So, um, and you probably, I'm assuming that you weren't uh, very nervous because of the amount of level of preparation yes. that you went put into it. So, what was your preparation like? That too, I I did prep a lot. I probably started getting ready for the talk back in August. And so, you know, I started just kind of like brainstorming and then put that together into an outline. I really like kind of like gauge the talk a lot like you would do like a paper in like your English class or an essay or something like really kind of like narrowing down what my thesis was going to be like, what is it that what's the number one thing I want? people to take away. You know, I kind of like I would spend a little bit of time during the week at night doing this and then majority of my weekends. So I have like a very patient family because (laughs) (laughs) I really uh, probably for like the two months leading up to Angular Connect really didn't do much on the weekends besides get ready for the talk. So people are not lying. I think I heard someone once say that like the average talk takes like 80 hours maybe to prepare for. Uh, maybe it was 40, it was either 40 or 80, but either way, they were not lying. It definitely was a lot of work getting ready for it. I also like put together this video of me skating in preparation for that. So that also took up some time because I had to like get all this old footage converted to digital and help put this video together. So it's really, really, really took a lot of prep. I think my takeaway from doing all that was that you know, next time I want to do a technical talk because I spent so much time like getting ready for this, but I was kind of bummed because I felt like I wasn't learning anything. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, I love on the weekends, like getting to play around with new things. And for like two months, I didn't get to do that. So it was kind of a bummer. (laughs) Well, you can kind of look at it this way is that, you know, everybody that watches your videos, you're probably going to get really inspired that they too might now go out and start building stuff. Yeah, 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 totally. I know I was like definitely excited though last weekend and this weekend, like my first weekends to kind of not prep as hard for it. And I was like, yes, what am I going to play around with this weekend? I'm so excited. So, I mean, that's one of the um, the, the kind of tricks that Cecil and I have and a lot of other speakers have too, is that if there's something that we want to learn, we just go ahead and submit an abstract for it somewhere, whether that's a, a code camp or a conference or even our local user group. And then that kind of forces us to kind of get that presentation ready and learn the, yeah. the, the new technology. Yeah, totally. So that is my lesson learned about that is like, I've heard that a lot. So totally. <laughs> so what was your biggest benefit from going to these, this conference and, and setting up this presentation? What was the things that you got out of it outside of doing the presentation itself? Um, probably getting to meet everyone there. So a lot of the people that were there, I get to do like I'm on this Angular Air podcast. 
every week and the JavaScript Jabber podcast every week. So I've gotten to virtually meet a lot of people, <laughs> but not necessarily in person. So, I, you know, one thing the Angular community, everyone raves about, and, you know, now I've had the opportunity to really experience it firsthand. I did go to ng-conf, but this was before I was kind of, like, more active in the community, but I just really got to experience, like, how friendly everyone is. So that was really the most fun thing is um, just, like, meeting everyone and doing stuff together. I know Thursday after the conference, a bunch of us got together and we all went for like tea and just like walking around London together. So this group of, I want to say there's like six or seven of us. So it was just a blast. Trying to think of like other takeaways. Obviously too, going back to just how nice everyone is in the community, I would say like my first day uh, once I got to the actual like conference venue, uh, I just got super intimidated. I wasn't like necessarily nervous to speak, but you know, just like kind of started to get that feeling like I'm surrounded by all these incredible people. Why am I here? Like I, I wasn't nervous, but if anything, I started to like get embarrassed that I shouldn't be. <laughs> but like everyone was so complimentary and so quick to like you know welcome me in, and like they were just so 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 nice all these people that I like look up to immensely um just so nice and it's awesome (laughs) so again with all the stuff that you do like what are some of the things that you do to to kind of just balance yourself out a little bit when you're not not writing because it sounds like you're obviously super passionate about writing code and exploring technology and stuff like that yeah so you know when we put the technology to the side right like what are some of the things you do to kind of just you know refocus Uh, This is something I'm still kind of like trying to gauge. Balance is probably not one of my strong points. I did have a mentor at one point say, because everyone says like, be careful, you don't want to get burned out. Um, But personally for me, I don't know if this is the right approach for everyone, but personally for me, uh, my approach to like burnout is if I get burned out on working on one specific thing, uh, I'll go work on something else. So not necessarily like step away from programming altogether, but, you know, explore something else. So that's why, like, I am super fortunate that I get to work on, like, not just Angular, but we have so many APIs in Express. We have a lot of stuff that's just using, like, pure node streams. Like, I have all this other stuff that I get to explore, like, a lot around deployments. But not programming related, I am still, like, super, super passionate about staying in shape and eating good. So I still, like, I get up every... I'm I'm not one of those programmers that stays up all night and sleeps in. I get up at, like, 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, and I go uh, lift weights, and then I go run along the harbor. Um, I have started to, like, get into a little bit of meditation, just kind of like downtime sometimes on Saturdays, you know, go out to eat with my husband or, or stuff like that. I have uh, I have two cats that I like to, you know, they're kind of like our kids. So, <laughs> you know, play with them. Just normal stuff. We'd like to thank Amy for being our guest on the show. It was definitely a pleasure speaking with her. Please tell your friends about the show and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Remember to check us out on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTK Podcast. You could also follow me at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jars. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. 
You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, you can sign up to the newsletter where you get extra episodes behind the scenes access to Wave from the Keyboard. Next on Away from the Keyboard, we'll have Data Wizard Buck Woody. Technology really revolves around two big gigantic memes. The first is the ability to kill each other. Uh, there's a lot of technology that we invent that society benefits from, but was originally invented to, to you know to, to to fund the war machine kind of thing. And then the other one is uh, talking to each other. Can't wait! It's going to be amazing conversation. See you next week. Bye. want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego! Richie would love that, man, because Richie's a cat guy. Yeah, we got, we've got six cats here. Oh, only That's two is here in my office currently, but yeah, we've got six. Okay, yeah. So, so we, we had four. So this is the story how we went. We had four. Um, every year, my wife would start talking about having a kid, <laughs> and I'd give her a cat. <laughs> so at, at about our fifth year of marriage, I kind of said, I don't want any more cats. So we start talking about having kids. <laughs> And, uh, it, you know, the two, two of the cats have recently passed, and um, I know we're all sad, but uh, there was a mama cat that had a litter right on our, pra- on our patio, and our two kids just took a really big liking to those cats, and so we had a cold snap come through, and we just brought them inside, and they've never left, <laughs> so that's how we got the other four. Oh, <laughs> yeah, our second one is brand new. He was an anniversary present, so... <laughs> but no no we'll probably stop at our two for the time being <laughs> yeah yeah i i wish we would have stopped at the two but <laughs> my husband's like uh not having that <laughs> two is good yeah. <laughs> okay so um you could you could probably guess by now we're kind of just you know we're winding down we're done we're we, down. we, we we're, went through the questions yeah i mean yeah we're good a lot of that stuff at the end is probably going to get cut because we're just kind of rambling right now but okay. <laughs> just <so you> know. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't, though, Sess. Sometimes, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. So, doesn't. so a little bit of a. I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler about the show. Okay. Is that we have? Um, what do you call that thing? Bonus episodes. Bonus tracks. Bonus tracks. <laughs> so what happens is after the music fades out, there's typically some you know very short clip of audio, like a minute, minute and a half, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. we'll have like thirty to sixty seconds of like dead air, and then we'll play something awesome right so i'm saying that because a lot of the stuff that goes in there is really just 
nonsense, right? Like us talking about random stuff, you know, maybe <laughs> something I cut from the show or maybe some bloopers or something like that. You know what I mean? So, um, so some of this rambling that we're doing right now may or may not end up in the bonus track. That's going to go. It will totally be on the bonus track because <laughs> we'll be like so meta like that. So we'll be like on the bonus track talking about the bonus track. Of course it was going to go on the bonus track. Yeah, so yeah exactly. Stuff like that. Oh, that's really good. Stuff like that. 